Here are your co-hosts and cybersecurity experts, Brian Horning, Reginald Andre, and Randy Bryan. Your traveling studio audience is with you in your lodge. Yeah, they follow us all over, man. Yeah. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Security Squad podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Brian, here with uh, Reg Andre and Randy Bryan, who are in a top-secret, undisclosed location together. Uh, so you only have two boxes filling up your screen today instead of three. Um, but welcome to another show uh, where we discuss the world of cybersecurity, bring you the latest events, tie it all together in a bow, and let you know how it impacts your life and your business and what you can start doing to protect yourselves. So in today's episode, we're going to cover some K-12 through stuff. Since the guys are together, we were going to talk about cyber insurance applications and kind of what that looks like for various businesses and industries. But they're on travel, so we're going to wait until they're back in their own offices to do that. So today we're going through K-12 through stuff. There's a lot to talk about with K-12 through cyber attacks. Um, we're going to hit some new information around a new uh, business that a lot of people probably have this in their laundry room right now as we speak. They're dealing with a cyber attack, um, and we'll jump into that. And then... Uh, <clears throat> The rules are changing, as we said, with cyber insurance, uh, and we have some evidence to back that up now. We have, we've been talking about the uh, repercussions and, and the liability shifting from just being able to like, file claims and get claims paid to CEOs uh, and, and corporate officers being held responsible for things around cyber attacks and cyber events. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to get into that today to let you know kind of what's going on there and what just happened recently that's going to open some eyes for a lot of business owners out there when it comes to cybersecurity and cyber insurance. So before we jump into those topics, remember, share our show. That's how we grow, by either you liking our, our channel in some way, our platform on social media, either YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn. I think we throw ourselves up over there. If you like us, if you share us, or if you comment on our stuff, that helps other people find us. And we appreciate anybody who does that and helps us out to grow. So guys, anything you want to add to the intro before I jump right into today's topics? Uh, oh yeah. Let's, uh, if you have a comment or a question, you can leave that on wherever this is streamed. If you're watching it live, yeah, um, we can usually uh, address it on air. So we encourage people to leave comments as well. Yeah, like we even had somebody say, can I come on live right now? And we were able to do that <laughs> through, through a social media message. So there's all kinds of stuff we can do to have people participate on the show. So let your imagination run wild there. Um, <clears throat> so without further ado. Uh, guys, we have an attack on the Prince George County Public School Network that impacts about 4,500 accounts, uh, and it's creating chaos in the educational environment as another uh, school district close to our nation's capital uh, gets hit. Uh, and this is just the beginning. It's 4,500 that we know about. 
it's early on. The school system is still assessing the extent of the cyber attack, but said the main business and student information systems known as Oracle and Schoolmax do not appear to be impacted. Uh, so what are you guys thoughts on this? Another school district, there's not a lot of information out there about this, but we have another pretty large school district just outside the district of Columbia hit with another cyber attack. Well, there's no coincidence on the timing. Schools are starting to come back now here in um, Miami. We started on Wednesday. So good. Uh, it was a very timed event uh, for those threat actors to go ahead and um, put that out because, you know, school's starting and now you got all these kids and parents and chaos is going to be happening. Yeah, I agree. And the... <clears throat> Though the value of the information to criminals when it involves schools is huge. One, if they can get social security information and names, things like that, they can start opening credit accounts um, on these uh, the, the young people whose stuff was stolen. Um, so there's a lot of value to criminals that way. Um, they can also use it to uh, collaborate with other information that's available on the dark web you know, like send a message to a parent about their kid or something like that. And if something in that message um, elicits an emotion and they get emotional, then they're more likely to click on whatever it is. Um, could be used in targeted uh, spear phishing attacks, maybe uh, children of executives, children of, of politicians, because this is so close to, uh, to Washington. So as usual, a school district is a huge thing when it when information gets out and a lot of value, and this one's no exception. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, there's not a whole lot to add to this. It's just that we're going to find out more here over the next couple of days. It was just in the news this week. I feel like I feel like we we should talk about it because we're going to get into something here in a minute that that relates to it. But before we get to what's going on down in Washington around K through 12 cybersecurity, let's talk about this Connecticut school district where a cyber attack at this school district in Connecticut led to the loss of $6 million for the district, demonstrating the significant financial risk of cybercrime. And I think I want to talk about this in kind of two lights, guys. One is yeah, that's a significant amount of money and somebody's going to have to foot the bill for that. So let's kind of discuss and debate who's going to have to foot the bill for that. Uh, and then on top of that, this is another example, in my opinion, of businesses just miscalculating the damage and cost of cyber attacks. Um, I would bet before this attack, the leaders in, in this Connecticut school district would have never never in a million years thought that $6 million plus would be the number that they would lose as a result of a cyber attack. Because I think if they knew that number, they would have done more to prevent it. Uh, and a lot of schools and a lot of businesses are learning this hard lesson. And I'm kind of like looking around at the rest of the world and the rest of these businesses out there going, there's enough evidence around. Look, look, like, if you think that you don't have data or you don't think you have something valuable or you don't have anything that a business can do, you have operations and you make money and you have sales. That's enough right there. If they can stop that to make you want to eventually pay. So 
those are the two things I took away from this when I looked at it at a high level. And we can get into the details of what the $6 million was and what they, what they were able to recover. But what are your high level thoughts on, on this first before we jump into the details of it guys? One thing I, at one point in my uh, career, I went after actually government contracts and we, you know, signed up with the school board and tried to see what type of business we can do for them. And I don't, believe that schools for the most part outsource any of their stuff. They, they normally try to do everything in-house. Um, in Miami, we the only type of bids and contracts that we saw we were able to get into was selling them the hardware. But as far as um, cyber, as far as IT support or anything like that, it was um, usually in-house. So I'm just curious to know as far as like, you know, this is a government you know agency in the, in the aspect how are they retraining their staff? Is this just more of, all right, well, John's been here forever and, you know, he's close to retirement. Let's just keep him going. And that's not, you know, um, it's just kind of like interesting to see as far as what are they doing to continue to um, teach their, their staff on, on the t technology side? Yeah. Um, I was just going to add this, this, particular vector for stealing money is one that we see all the time. In fact, it's, it's of, of, of companies that come to us hacked, it's probably eight or nine out of 10 are companies where the criminals get in the middle of everything and then they use either um, slightly different domain names or they'll use, um, we've seen them use leak credentials to get into a box that does invoicing and things like that, send from that box. We've used them. We've seen them where they've added like LLC to the end of the email address. You know, so instead of ABC company, it's now ABC company, LLC.com. And since they've been in the middle of everything, they're, they're capturing the logos. They're capturing the fonts. They can make the emails look exactly the same. Or like I said, we've seen them where they're literally in one of the boxes, um, maybe the invoicing box or whatever. And they're using that to send and receive. And the, the thing that's most crazy about this, it can go from zero to six million dollars in like two days. I mean, all they have to do is start sending out um, the ACH requests, the invoices. You know, we've seen them where they say, oh, hey, our stuff um, was we had to get all new accounts. So please start using this one going forward or, or whatever. So the 5.9 million seems like a lot of money, but these, like a school district, this is probably normal amount of money over the course of several days. Um, and um, so, yeah, this is out of um, 7.2 billion that this school district received in 2021. So we're talking just a fraction of all the money that is just flying around like crazy. I think bottom line, companies have to get a hold of where is your money coming and going, where, you know, especially the going. Um, so you can see right away when fraud comes in the middle, when criminals get in the middle in one of these uh, cybersecurity attacks. Yep. So essentially, you know, in case anybody's wondering, this wasn't ransomware. This was actually a more prevalent crime than ransomware, which was business email compromise. And mm -hmm. 
Cyber Thieves gained access to the chief operating officer's public school email address in May. They monitored online conversation with vendors. And this happens all the time, just so you know, in the real estate world, when, when you're buying in real estate, it's potential that you could be working with a real estate agent or a title company or even a mortgage company where this similar thing is happening, where, where a cyber criminal is just sitting in the email unbeknownst to them because nobody's monitoring. Nobody knows that somebody's logging in from halfway around the world all the time, uh, monitoring and waiting for the right time to strike. Right. And, and when the right time to strike happens, they do things like create rules. So you don't see certain emails. They monitor uh, your drafts folder. They, they do all kinds of stuff to make sure that you can't figure out that somebody's sending and receiving emails out of your account. And with in this particular instance in Connecticut, they monitored online conversations with vendors, eventually inserted themselves in a conversation by impersonating the COO and the vendors. And then the thieves made requests for electronic transfers to fraudulent accounts. A total of six payments were made, including four meant for the school bus company, totaling more than 5.9 million. The only reason that this school district knew about this is because the bus company called the school district and said, why aren't we getting paid? And the school district was paying them. And that raised red flags as soon as that call came in. Two other payments were meant for a law firm. And um, Elliker said a seventh payment meant for a cleaning company was stopped by the city's budget office. And it seems like the FBI was able to recover about half of what's been sent so far, uh, basically saying that they were able to recover it through tracing funds and things like that. Um, But they're still continuing their probe, trying to recover the rest of the funds. So we will see. But I can't imagine the amount of resources that have to go involved that are involved trying to get that money back. Um, Eventually, they're going to throw in the towel. Yeah, they were able to stop a little bit of it. But yeah, after about three days, it's really hard to get it back once it's uh, it's almost impossible to get it back um, unless you have cooperation with foreign governments that have control over banks. Yeah, that too. So um, they'll, lose, they'll lose that money plus the money they still owe the, the original vendor. Correct. Exactly. Correct. Right. They still have to pay the vendors, right? This doesn't go away, right? But, you know, they could have insurance that covers some of it. Um, well, I was just going to say what businesses don't think about, what they don't really come to grips with is that usually their businesses, like the majority of businesses are living paycheck to paycheck. And I know that's a, you know, that's a home homeowner's term or residential term. But what I mean by that is they don't really have any margin in their money to lose payments that they're getting or to lose um, that. So that to lose any money coming in, um, or to have to pay double on money going out. They don't have that kind of margin, um, which makes this especially scary um, and something that, you know, business owners need to really uh, come to grips with. You know, what would you do if $200,000 was taken out of your bank account? You know, what would you do if you paid all your bills and turned out they were all wrong and you had to turn around and pay them all again because the first time you paid them it was to a bunch of criminals? So, 
So moving right along, we have the White House decided to step in this week. Uh, and as they've been pushing their high-level cybersecurity agenda in 2023, um, they decided to have a summit aiming to help school districts fend off ransomware attacks, addressing national concerns for educational cybersecurity. So it, I guess you know, for me, one, at least they're starting the conversation. Um, but on Tuesday, they held its first ever cybersecurity summit on the ransomware attacks plaguing U.S. schools in which criminal hackers have dumped online sensitive student data, which Randy mentioned earlier, including medical records, psychiatric evaluation, and even sexual assault reports. Um, you know, so this was... Uh, I guess the first lady was there uh, and they rolled out a bunch of um, people from the White House uh, to talk about, you know, the fact that 48 districts have been hit with ransomware attacks this year, already three more than in all of 2022. So like we talk about all the time on this show, K through 12 is 100 percent a massive target for these cyber criminals. Um, because they know they can get them. Um, and that's, that's the bottom line. So uh, anything that you guys got out of this uh, whole summit other than kind of, you know, a lot of it's stuff that we talk about on this show and highlight on this show all the time about what's going on in schools. Um, you know, they're trying to, feel, the biggest thing that I took out of it was, uh, in a Washington Post article that I read about this yesterday. Um, and it's kind of cited the fact that they, when they, when they kind of asked the people at this event, the, I guess the main thing that they were hearing was uh, an unwillingness of the school districts to find full-time cybersecurity staff, which it's like, really like, you're trying to hire your way out of this problem when you can work with third party companies to, to get it done. Like that's, that's the amazing thing to me. So I don't know. What are your guys thoughts on this? Um, do you think it's, I like, I'm, I'm, I just want to add that I'm pretty, I'm pretty good friends with a lot of superintendents around here that are responsible for a lot of school districts. Um, and I don't, I don't necessarily get the impression that they're even looking to hire. I, I think it's partly they don't even, they don't know what to do. And partly they lack the funds to do anything about it. That's the biggest thing. It's not like, I think if they had the money, they would hire either an outside company or start hiring their own internal staff. I think it's a money problem, not a staffing problem. What are your thoughts? When I read this article, okay, summit is great. Let's talk about it. But I, I would have wanted to hear that these eight superintendents walked over, you know, down the street to Congress Ave and said, this is the, you know, this is the help we need. And this is the legislation we need that this should be the minimum that if you're receiving federal funds, this is what they should be implementing. Um, funding, as far as not having funding for the school districts, I think there's always, you know, if you got to raise the taxes a little, or if you got to, you know, cut off the marble floor somewhere or something, you know, in a, in a superintendent's office, I don't know, but I think the money is there. It's just, um, it's just a lot of talk and not any action. 
Yeah, it's a matter of priorities and prioritizing things. You know, it might be prioritizing this versus a uh, 30-year mortgage on new AstroTurf on the stadium. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Not that I know that that happened anywhere near me. It may or may not have, but it did probably. So, but that that is true. And then also I think there's a there's a lot of, of, of ignorance where they're not aware either A, like you said, what to do or that there is even a problem. And then also, I also kind of wonder like of the, hundreds of thousands of school districts i mean how many were able to actually be a part of this summit was this summit did was it actually impactful um and what are we going to do about this about this issue which um is really becoming an issue of national security at the very um almost at the very minimum right mm -hmm. well the very core of the issue it's it's that right because it shows you how weak our, our cybersecurity is from a governmental standpoint. Um, you know, businesses get the luxury of hiding behind a lot of, you know, private businesses, the luxuries that private businesses get, but the governments and schools and publicly traded companies don't get that, that same luxury. So um, this stuff comes out in the open where I'm just going to tell everybody it's even uglier in the private business world. Yep. Um, people are, people are kind of like shocked, like when they find out that, you know, um, you know, companies aren't, aren't securing their data as well as they think. I think, I think people just assume if I give you my data, you're taking care of it. And, and I, and people need to understand it's the complete opposite. Um, they're taking your data and they're, they're not really putting two thoughts into securing it. They're just taking it and doing whatever they need to do with it on the back end. Um, you know, and security is not top of mind for a lot of these companies when it comes to that. So a couple of things. I mean, I, I'm taking away that they're basically saying, like, we think we got to hire our way out of it, which is interesting, an interesting takeaway. Um, staff burnout, morale, and motivation were cited as problems as to why school districts aren't getting to this. Um, which means they're trying to do this with the staff that they have, <clears throat> which we can debate what's going on there. Um, I think part of it is people trying to enter into a field to for job security purposes, Andre, right? I, I think that that's definitely in play here where IT people see the writing on the wall that maybe their role is being going to be diminished or replaced potentially or you know, look, computers don't break as much as they used to, right? So if you're a guy who made his his money 10 years ago by swapping out parts on computers and that was kind of like your role in a company or at a school, something broke, you were the guy who ran in and swapped out the part and saved the day. Those days are few and far between now, right? And and, and if you're not changing your skills, you're starting to feel or, or you're not doing something else, you're starting to feel like maybe you're going obsolete. So then you see guys trying to move into more cybersecurity roles. And quite frankly, like you might be good at swapping out parts. Usually they're not, you're not good at both. You're not like, I very rarely see people who can transition from maybe being like a, a help desk bench technician over to like cybersecurity, which is it just requires a different skill set. Not saying that everybody can't transition to it, but it's not it's it's not a one to one transition. There are skills and other things that you have to acquire in order to be successful in cybersecurity that you may not necessarily have needed to have had in a help desk role. 
Um, so that's all I'm saying. And that's all I'm pointing out. So that is a real challenge for a lot of, a lot of districts. If they're trying to take like <clears throat> technical people and help desk people and make them cybersecurity people, the road to get to maturity is going to be a lot longer if you go that route. That's basically, you know, what I'm saying in a nutshell. So a couple other things that I found interesting, cybersecurity spending by districts is also in this article considered meager, uh, where, as I'm reading it, just 24% of districts spend more than one-tenth of their IT budget. That's just their IT budget, not their whole entire budget. On cybersecurity defense, so only about 24% spend 10% of their IT budget on cybersecurity. Um, and then the survey found why nearly half spend 2% or less. Um, so most school districts are spending 2% or less of their IT budget on cybersecurity. That's why they're getting hacked straight up. Right. So you could do quick math. You can make up numbers and figure that out what that is. Randy, what did you say was the number? Something billion, three billion or something like that on that Connecticut district? Uh, seven billion. Seven yeah, billion. Total budget, seven billion. Oh, their total budget. And we don't have a number on their IT budget, do we? So we don't have a number on the IT budget, right? No. No. So whatever the IT budget number is. It's 2% of that or less, right? So exactly. as you can see, it dwindles down quickly. Um, as Randy rightfully pointed out, I think we see more money going to turf fields than we do cybersecurity these days. And until that changes, we're going to have schools getting hit with ransomware left and right. So good stuff, guys. We got seven minutes to get through two more segments, I think, right? So, but these are kind of interrelated. So we'll kind of talk about them both at the same time. Or actually, no, we only have one more, right? So corporate cyber attacks. Number one, we have uh, a very uh, common household name is dealing with a, a business interruption. Clorox reported disruption in certain business operations due to a cyber attack illustrating the ongoing threat to private corporations. Now, unfortunately, this is a publicly traded corporation, so they have to disclose this kind of stuff fairly quickly. Um, but here's, a, here's another big name, uh, big consumer brands names. They make bleach. They make all kinds of cleaning products, um, you know, pool products, uh, chlorine, things like that. Uh, unfortunately, dealing with a cyber attack. Um, and then on the back to that, we'll, we'll kind of jump into this in a second. But um, the, as I mentioned at the top of the show, the liability that these, that these executives at Clorox are now going to have to take on as a result of this cyber attack. And, and you know, Clorox isn't the only one, but we're going to talk, you know, kind of about both at the same time here. So um, do we have much information on Clorox here, guys? It looks like... Uh, Looks like they're in a little bit of trouble, eh? Yeah, not not too much, but this kind of reminds me. I don't know if it was the last podcast, but remember we talked about that new rule that's going to be coming out yeah. where SEC. public corporations. Yeah, so yeah. it's interesting going to see like if this was. I think it's going to. Randy mentioned it's going to start in October, but how much more information would we have gotten? You know, as far as you know, is it customers or corporate information, etc. So, so this is monthly. Tuesday, We're so. going to find out because it's early on. Um, yeah. it's, they're implementing workarounds. 
they're working with a third-party cybersecurity expert, and the investigation also involves law enforcement. So we are just at the beginning of what we will find out uh, will eventually be. I mean, thankfully for them, I guess, in a sense, that you know the SEC rules aren't in, in effect yet, so they're not going to have to release as much as quickly uh, as they would if this were to happen after December. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of what's going on at Clorox. So hey, just um, kinda, go ahead. I just wanted to add to that. So in 2021, um, they committed to um, $500 million to in, in, improve their technology, including money specifically for cybersecurity. Um, so this is uh, could be something that was potentially could have been a lot worse. We won't know until the details come out. Um, but they have had a significant budget increase over the last couple of years, um, including money to make themselves more secure. So maybe the blast radius was limited on this because they're doing something right. We'll have to wait and see, though. Well, they should know how to sanitize their network. So, yep. Well, 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 I know that smile on your face was for something. <laughs> so, uh, I was waiting for a zinger from some, some somebody <laughs> around that. So, uh, so just kind of talking about like what Clorox is kind of up against because this last article that we're going to dive into here at the end of the show is just more kind of a more a deeper dive into what's going on as all these different regulations kind of meld together and and, and kind of work together to really hold the feet to the fire for these corporations, uh, especially the publicly traded ones right now, um, it seems like it's going to impact those the quickest and and, the mo and be the most impactful against them. But this will trickle down to private businesses for sure. Um, but this, I'm just going to take some quotes out of this article that I'm looking at under, under BloombergLaw.com. Um, but basically... You know, this article right here says the plaintiff bar is drooling. They're like, when does this go into effect? And they're yeah, talking about the, the SEC rules. When do they go into effect? Because the rules set the roadmap for investors to bring derivative claims alleging a company's senior executive breached their fiduciary duty by failing to manage cyber risk. So managing cyber risk is now a fiduciary duty. That's basically the line that's being drawn yep. in the sand now when they yep. start using language like that for people in regulated financial sectors when you're saying words like fiduciary duty that means a lot to those people it means they basically if they violate that they'll never be able to make money or do business in that world ever again mm -hmm. yeah uh, I just okay. going to say it's a huge, huge changing uh, landscape right now. And this is a this is a huge game changer for a lot of things um, like the for the rule to, the, where you have to report in four days. But this whole idea where investors can come back and sue um, because the executives didn't do their their duty right. To, right. to manage cyber risks. Um, that's that's huge. And that's a game changer. And the other reason it's huge is because all, all of these uh, executives are protected under insurance by 
you know, most corporations, their board is protected by an insurance policy, right? So then this, this raises the risk level that these insurance companies have to protect these board members. So now these insurance companies, this isn't, we're not talking about cyber insurance. We're talking about insurance that the business has to protect the board of directors, otherwise known as shareholder or, or board of directors insurance that's in place that's protecting these people. And they're going to get pressure from that to do the right thing. Like these insurance companies are going to come to these boards and be like, what are you doing for cybersecurity? Not only are they going to get it from the cybersecurity questions, but they're going to get it from this standpoint too. And that that's mind blowing to me. Um, your thoughts on that guys. I mean, this is just going to, you know, this is just going to basically create just like we have a market right now of, of, of lawyers and ambulance chasers who are, you know, following up on data breaches and, and bringing class action lawsuits against companies when they find a bunch of people that, you know, their data was impacted by this firm's data breach, that's happening all the time. And it takes millions and millions of dollars for companies to defend. You're also going to have these lawyers going out looking for, you know, shareholders of these corporations and saying, like, look, you're a shareholder of this corporation. Your boards of directors didn't do enough and it led to a cyber attack join this class action lawsuit where we're now going to sue them as, as your, as shareholders. And now no matter what, this insurance company is going to have to defend that lawsuit that these shareholders and this attorney are now bringing against this corporation. This is just going to be a big mess of class action lawsuits. If companies don't start doing the right thing. So, I'm basically saying, you know, this is going through, um, you know, D, it's basically called DNO insurance, but they're basically thinking DNO underwriters are thinking very hard about all of this. So mm -hmm. they're really going to have to start writing their policies around this. Basically, if you violate any SEC rules, this policy is null and void. Mm -hmm. Right. And then the rates will go up, so it'll cover FTC fines and things. I don't like think. That. I don't even think they're going to try and play that game, man, because it's too risky. Right? They're just going to say, "Look, if you violate SEC rules, your claim won't be paid." Well, like, mm. and I think that's where it'll where it'll be, and and then the liability falls on the individual, and it's no longer covered under DNO. So it forces boards of directors to be personally responsible for cybersecurity. Whether they believe it or not is like, you know, getting a doctor to, to buy into whether they're uh, under HIPAA or not, right? If they're ever going to have a HIPAA issue, right? There's doctors, that, there's doctors that run around today that fully believe HIPAA will never bother them, right? So. SEC is a different animal. I agree. I agree. But we'll see what happens. Only time will tell, right? So. Good stuff, guys. Um, good, uh, good perspective on these things. We talked about the schools. We talked about what the White House was doing, and we talked about corporate cyber attacks. Any last uh, thoughts you want to share before we get out of here? Stay safe. Right. Yep. yep, that's what I was thinking, too. <laughs> All right, everyone. Be safe. We'll see you in the next episode. Take care. All right. See you all later.